welcome back to another episode of Brains and Mouth, no processing in between. It's your host, with the most, Bobby California. Today we're going to be talking about the late, the great, the digestive system. Alright, so we're going to talk about the digestive system, we've got to lay that groundwork, build the foundation upon which we will build our tower of knowledge. So we're going to start with the anatomy of the digestive system. Uh, but before that, <laughs> we're going to go over different kinds of digestion, because there's intracellular digestion, which is the oxidation of glucose and fatty acids for energy. This is part of metabolism, but there's also extracellular digestion, and this is the process by which nutrients are obtained from foods occurring in the lumen of the alimentary canal. What is the alimentary canal? I'm glad you asked. That is just another term for the GI tract. It runs from the mouth to the anus, sectioned off by sphincters. What are sphincters? Another great question. You're on a roll today. Sphincters are circular, smooth muscles around the canal that can contract to allow com- compartmentalization of function. So we talk about intracellular, extracellular digestion. What is just digestion? Well, put it simply, digestion is just the breakdown of food into its constituent organic molecules. So you take starches, your carbohydrates, digest that, and break it up into monosaccharides. And a monosaccharide is just like a single sugar unit, like a thing of glucose or a thing of fructose, all those good stuff. Lipids or just fats, you break those down into free fatty acids and glycerol. And then, spoiler alert, you can combine the free fatty acids and glycerol to make triacylglycerol or triglycerol. Proteins you break down into amino acids, a bunch of cool stuff. But wait, there's more. In addition to intracellular, extracellular, there's also mechanical digestion, which is the physical breakdown of large food particles into smaller food particles. This does not involve breaking chemical bonds. So, you know, you chew your food. That's mechanical digestion. But there's also chemical digestion. Ooh, and that's the enzymatic cleavage of chemical bonds. So that's... uh like the hydrochloric acid in your stomach or your saliva that's chemical digestion all right but what's the point of this what's what's the point of all this digestion you want to absorb it and absorption is the transport of products of digestion from the digestive tract into the circulatory system for distribution to the body's tissues and cells and you know let's just let's just give a rundown of the digestive tract so you got your oral cavity your mouth where you put your food the pharynx, your throat, the esophagus, and then your stomach, and then your small intestine, large intestine, and finally the rectum. And so in addition to the actual organs of the digestive tract, the salivary glands, the pancreas, the liver, and the gallbladder help provide enzymes and lubrication necessary to aid the digestion of food. All right, but it's also helped by the enteric nervous system. And this is a collection of 100 million neurons that govern the function of the GI system. These neurons trigger peristalsis and can function independently of the central nervous system, although it is heavily regulated by the autonomic nervous system. And peristalsis is just the rhythmic contraction of the gut tube in order to move materials through the system. And so it says it's heavily regulated by the autonomic nervous system, and that makes sense. You know, you... Your parasympathetic nervous system deals with the rest and digest, so that would increase peristalsis. 
whereas, you know, someone starts shooting at you, your sympathetic nervous system kicks in and paracelsus largely largely stops because your body's focused on getting you out of there, not digesting the sandwich you just ate. All right, but let's talk about ingestion and digestion. So there's, there's a couple hormones that are pretty important for this. There's uh, ADH and aldosterone, and ADH stands for antidiuretic hormone, pretty much just the goat of, of all hormones uh, that regulates thirst. So if you've got a lot of ADH, a lot of aldosterone, you're going to be pretty thirsty. If you've got glucagon and ghrelin, you're going to be pretty hungry. You're going to go, man, I can, I can go for a nice, nice burger right now. You really go for some chilies. Lepin and... I'm trying to pronounce this. Give me a moment. Lepin and... Kolesotykin. Kolesot... Yeah. <laughs> that uh, makes you feel satiety or just it makes you feel full right glucagon ghrelin hunger lepin and the other one satiety all right if you've ever wanted to be like man i wish there was another word to describe the act of chewing oh you're in luck because masti mastication is another term for chewing you just want to enrich your enrich your vocabulary you know like a word of the day all right salivary amylase hydraulic hydrolyzes starch into smaller sugars like maltose and dextrins and you might you might guess that salivary amylase is in the saliva it's a it's an enzyme but another enzyme that doesn't sound quite as intuitive is lipase and all that does is just catalyzes the hydrolysis of lipids so you know breaking those bonds you know breaking breaking down those lipids into just smaller free fatty acid molecules the pharynx is the cavity that leads from the mouth and posterior nasal cavity to the esophagus. The nasopharynx, this is, and I'm just going to go over the different portions of the pharynx right now. The nasopharynx is behind the nasal cavity. The orthopharynx is at the back of the mouth. And the laryngopharynx is above the vocal cords. The epiglottis is a cartilaginous structure that folds down to cover the laryngeal inlet when we swallow, preventing food from entering the larynx. The esophagus, which we mentioned before, but you know, I purposely didn't really elaborate on it because I was waiting for this moment. The esophagus is the muscular tube connecting the pharynx to the stomach. The top third of the tube is composed of skeletal muscle, and the bottom third is composed of smooth muscle, and the middle third is a mix of both. Now, you're like, okay, awesome. I have a new word for chewing. I can use mastification. Well, if you want a new word for vomiting or yakking, there's emesis, and that is the reversal of peristalsis. So peristalsis is moving everything through the digestive tract from the mouth to the anus. And emesis is the opposite. That's when you bleh, everything comes back up. All right, but let's, let's, let's talk sphincters, okay? So the upper esophageal sphincter is the muscles of the orthopharynx that initiate swallowing. So you can probably you can probably play with your upper esophageal sphincter right now. Ooh, I just did it pretty fun. But then there's the lower esophageal sphincter, and this is the, a cardiac sphincter, a or also called the cardiac sphincter, 
and it's a muscular ring near the bottom of the esophagus that relaxes to open and allow the passage of food into the stomach. And so, you know, the upper the upper one, that's what we use to swallow, that's obviously under voluntary control. And it makes sense because the top third of the esophagus is composed of skeletal muscle. The lower esophageal sphincter, you know, you don't really have to think like, man, I really hope this food I just ate makes it all the way to the stomach. That's because the bottom third is composed of smooth muscle, so it makes sense. That's under autonomic control. Man, but what is that? What is that stomach you, you, you're always hearing about? That is a highly muscular organ with a capacity of about two liters. So no excuse not to be hydrated. That thing can hold two whole liters. Uh, it uses hydrochloric acid and enzymes to digest food. Actually, I actually drew a little picture here because that, that's one of the few things I, I have the artistic ability to draw. So, you know, the top portion of the stomach is called the fundus, the main part of the body, imagine that. And then, it like, curves down, there's the pylorus, and then right before the duodenum, which is the first part of the large or small intestine, there's the antrum. And so, because it kind of curves up, there's a portion of lesser curvature on it, and then a portion of greater curvature. And so that, that fundus and body portion have gastric glands, and the antrum and pylorus have pyloric glands. And we'll get into all that, all that fun stuff. But the stomach also has a bunch of little folds called rugae. Alright, oh, hey, look at that, and we're already here. The gastric glands respond to signals from the vagus nerve. And the vagus nerve is one of those uh, cranial nerves, one of the 12 cranial nerves, but this one goes all over. <laughs> it goes from your brain to all kinds of organs, pretty, pretty, pretty long, pretty long nerve, kind of cool. But yeah, so it responds from signals from the vagus nerve of the parasympathetic nervous system, which is activated by the brain in response to the sight, taste, and smell of food. These glands have three different cell types, mucus cells, chief cells, and parietal cells. So, believe it or not, the mucus cells produce the bicarbonate-rich mucus that protects the muscular wall of the stomach. And we need this mucus because hydrochloric acid, believe it or not, is pretty harsh. So our our stomach is constantly creating this mucus so that it doesn't digest itself. Gastric juice, you know, all that all the fun stuff that does a lot of chemical digestion when it hits the stomach, that is a combination of the secretions from the chief and parietal cells. And so chief gels secrete pepsinogen which is the inactive zymogen form of pepsin. And the zymogen is just like a, an inactive enzyme. So these chief cells secrete pepsinogen, and then it's activated uh, to form pepsin, I believe. And then the parietal cells, they secrete the hypochloric acid and an intrinsic factor, which I hope I'll define later. Uh, a little more on pepsin. Pepsin is activated by hydrochloric acid. Yeah, so it's the zymogen, and then it's act, you know, pepsinogen, activate, it's the zymogen, and then it's activated by the hydrochloric acid, turns into pepsin. And so pepsin, once it's all activated, ready to go, it digests proteins by cleaving the peptide bonds near aromatic amino acids, resulting in short peptide fragments. Intrinsic factor is a glycoprotein involved in the proper absorption of B12. And hypochloric acid you know, the stuff secreted by the parietal cells. They kill microbes, denature proteins, 
and like I said, it converts pepsinogen to pepsin. And okay, so all of that was under the gastric glands. Let's talk about the pyloric glands. They contain G cells that secrete gastrin. And gastrin is a peptide hormone that induces the parietal cells of the stomach to secrete more HL, HCl or, or hydrochloric acid. And it signals the stomach to contract, mixing its contents. Chyme is an acidic semi-fluid mixture resulting from the digestion of solid foods in the stomach. So that's like, you know, got your sandwich, then you mush it up in a mush, and then it's digested by all the stuff in the stomach, and then what you have is chyme, or chyme, however you pronounce it. The small intestine consists of three segments, the duodenum, yeah, and I, I, you, you might get, I already told you this, but uh, I'll, I'll recap. After the stomach goes to the small intestine, <laughs> and that's composed of the duodenum, the jejunium, and the ileum. And you can remember that by thinking of the Dow Jones Industrial Complex. Or index, Dow Jones index, whatever. Just remember, duodenium, jejunium, ileum. The duodenium is responsible for the majority of chemical digestion and some minor involvement in absorption. The pyloric sphincter is the barrier between the stomach and the duodenum. Brush border enzymes break down dimers and trimers of biomolecules into absorbable monomers. This is present on luminal surfaces of cells lining the duodenum. Aminopeptidase is secreted by glands in the duodenum and removes the N-terminal amino acid from a peptide. Dipeptidases cleave the peptide bonds of dipeptides to release free amino acids. Enteropeptidase is an enzyme critical for the activation of trypsinogen to trypsin and the activation of procarboxypeptidases A and B to their active forms. And so trypsin will hydrolyze specific peptide bonds and procarboxyl peptidases hydrolyze terminal peptide bonds hydrolyze terminal peptide bond at the carbox carboxy end of a peptide. Secretin is a peptide hormone that causes pancreatic enzymes to be released into the duodenum, regulating pH by reducing HCl secretion from parietal cells and increasing bicarbonate secretion from the pancreas. Now secretin will also act as an enterogastrone or a hormone that slows motility through the digestive tract. Oh god, here's that hormone I couldn't pronounce. Kalecidokinin, uh, or CCK. I will only call it CCK from now on. Uh, that is a peptide hormone secreted in response to the entry of chyme, or chyme into the duodenum. It stimulates the release of bile and pancreatic juices, in addition to acting in the brain to promote satiety. So, yeah, we talked about how to promote satiety. It's saying, like, pump the brakes, you don't need any more food, you're a good dog. But then in addition to that, it's like, yeah, we're going to help you digest it as well. Have some bile, have some pancreatic juices. And so bile is a complex fluid composed of bile salts, pigments, and cholesterol. And bile salts, those are derived from cholesterol as well, and they 
facilitate the mechanical digestion of lipids by emulsifying fats and cholesterols into micelles. Pancreatic juices are a complex mixture of enzymes in a bicarbonate-rich alkaline solution in order to digest carbohydrates, fats, and proteins, as well as neutralize acidic chyme. How do bile salts and pancreatic lipase work together to digest fats? That's an excellent question. I am so glad you asked. Bile accomplishes mechanical digestion of fats, emulsifying them and increasing their surface area. Pancreatic lipase accomplishes chemical digestion of fats, breaking their ester bonds. All right, so let's let's talk about the accessory organs. This is this is where some pretty cool stuff happens. So the pancreas. Everyone knows about the pancreas because a lot of times it can't do. It's like most fucking important job is make, making some insulin. But it also does some other important things for digestion. So it is composed partly of acronar cells. And these produce the pancreatic juices. And these kind of cells make up the bulk of the pancreas. There's pancreatic amylase which is an enzyme produced by the pancreas that breaks down large polysaccharides into small disaccharides and is therefore responsible for carbohydrate carbohydrate digestion. Pancreatic peptidases include trypsinogen, chemotrypsinogen, and carboxypeptides A and B, which are released in their zymogen, zymogen forms and, and once activated are responsible for protein digestion. Pancreatic lipase is responsible for breaking down fats into free fatty acids and glycerol. This is some of this is review, but okay. The major and minor duodenal papillae. These transport those pancreas, these nice yummy pancreatic juices from the pancreatic ducts into the duodenum where they can do their job. All right, let's talk about the liver, the goat, freaking a god tier organ. Let's go over some functions just so you see what a, what a badass this, this organ is. The liver will process nutrients. We're talking glycogenesis, glycogenolysis, storage and mobilization of fats, gluconeogenesis. It produces urea. It detoxifies chemicals. It produces bile. It synthesizes albumin and clotting factors. Ah, what a fucking badass. What a baddie. All right, it's got, there are bile ducts, and that connects the liver with the gallbladder and small intestine. So, you know, you think bile, you think gallbladder, but it's actually made in the liver, and it is stored in the gallbladder. It's got its own portal vein. It's got the hepatic portal vein. And this is through which the liver receives all blood draining from the abdominal abdominal portion of the digestive tract, where it can be processed before draining into the interior vena cava. So the liver will take up and store all the excess sugar and fats from the blood. These processes can be reversed as well, producing glucose, and that's through glycogenesis and glycogenolysis, <laughs> and mobilize it. But the liver also mobilizes fats in lipoproteins To make bile, it uses bilirubin, which is a major pigment in bile, and is a byproduct of the breakdown of hemoglobin. 
Bilirubin travels to the liver where it is conjugated uh, or attached to a protein and secreted into the bile for excretion. Jaundice is the yellowing of the skin, the result of not being able to process or excrete bilirubin. Albumin is a protein that maintains plasma oncotic pressure and serves as a carrier for many drugs and hormones as well as clotting factors used during blood coagulation. Alright, let's talk about the gallbladder. You know, gallbladder, not, not really a big deal. You know, a bunch of people have their gallbladders taken out because it's more trouble than it's worth a lot of the times. You know, I've seen, I've seen, a, <laughs> there's one dude had so many gallstones. They were just all over the floor of the operating room. And I'd help clean it up. Oh, no. And then one, one of the SSTs stepped in it. And she just dragging gallstones everywhere. Ooh, fun time. But the gallbladder is located just beneath the liver. It stores and concentrates bile. It's got a biliary tree where bile is pushed into upon the release of CCK. Gallbladder is a common site of stone formation causing inflammation. Not, not a fun time overall. All right, now the fun stuff. We're going to talk about absorption and defecation. Oh, yeah. So the small intestine is responsible for absorbing nutrients. Or no, within the small intestine, the absorption of nutrients occurs primarily in the jejunium and the ileum. And the large intestine largely absorbs water, although actually the small intestine will absorb more water than the large intestine. Those small intestines got these things called villes, which are small finger-like projections from the epithelium that line the small intestine. Each of these have microvilli, which drastically increase the surface area available for absorption. Lacteal is a lymphatic channel that takes up fats and transports them into the lymphatic system located in the middle of each villus. So simple sugars and amino acids are absorbed into the epithelial cells lining the small intestine and then into interstitial capillaries. As the blood then moves these nutrients away from the capillaries, a concentration gradient is established to keep them moving in this direction. They then go to the liver, of course. Larger fats are transformed into triglycerides, packaged into chylomicrons, and then they enter the lymphatic circulation through lacteals eventually entering venous circulation through the thoracic duct. So, you've got different kinds of vitamins. you got the fat-soluble ones and the water-soluble ones. And I always remember the fat-soluble ones by just thinking ADEC. Fat-soluble vitamins are vitamin A, D, E, and K, ADEC. And so these are able to dissolve directly into those chylomicrons. But you got your bitch-ass water-soluble hormones and they are, so those can't just dissolve directly into the chylomicrons because they're not lipid soluble. So they absorb across the endothelial cells in the small intestine, passing directly into the plasma, which is probably easier for them, probably more efficient. So good, good for them, I guess. Let's talk about the large intestine. It's primarily involved in water absorption. It's got three major sections, the, the cecum, the colon, and the rectum. The cecum is a outpocketing that accepts fluids leaving the small intestine through the ileocecal valve, and it is the attachment site of the appendix. What is the appendix? All I ever hear about is it freaking exploding. Well, the appendix is 
a small finger-like projection that might have a role in warding off certain bacterial infections and repopulating the large intestine with normal flora after episodes of diarrhea. You know, they used to think that the appendix was a, a vestigial organ, but now it seems like they're, they're leaning away from that interpretation. The colon absorbs water and salts from undigested material left over from the small intestine and concentrates the remaining material into feces. The rectum is the storage site, is the storage site for feces. Mm. The anus is the opening through which wastes are eliminated, and it consists of two sphincters, the internal anal sphincter and the external anal sphincter. So the, uh, the internal anal sphincter is involuntary, is under involuntary control. Or the you know used by the autonomic nervous system. So when you're like, oh shit, I really have to go poop, that's because that sphincter probably opened. But you know you don't always just shit your pants. That's because your external anal sphincter is under voluntary control. You know the somatic nervous system. So we can from this we can probably deduce that this internal anal sphincter is composed of smooth muscle where the external inner sphincter is composed of skeletal muscle. Oh, and that brings us to the end of this journey. Talk about from the brain to the mouth with no processing. We just went from the mouth to the asshole with a whole lot of processing. Thank you. Thank you for joining me on this very shitty <laughs> journey. All right. Thanks for stopping by. See you in the next one.